Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your co-host, Brian Weinstein, and I am here, I'd like to say as I always am, but I wasn't here a few episodes back or a couple episodes back, but I'm with Caitlin Postal. Never going to let me forget it. It was one time I hijacked the pod. It was It's Women's History Month. We're happy to wrap it up here with our special guest and happy to have you back, like I said last time, Brian. Yes, yes. And you know what? I intentionally did that. That was passive aggressive. I called you Postal again, <laughs> not Postal. I know how I'll get her. I'll just call her name <laughs> wrong. Give me Siri back. Give me the Siri pronunciation. Exactly. Don't exactly. target my Tarje. Don't do that. <laughs> So this is uh, our final episode of Women's History Month. And, you know, honestly, we've been talking, Caitlin and I and Tanya have been talking about, you know, having this in March since way back last fall, getting ahead of something because, you know, I am a a girl dad. Um, I am am married to a woman who is a very strong career-driven person. I've always surrounded myself uh, with women of the same ilk. And I have to tell you, I'm really proud to be able to participate in this. I, I was a, I, I volunteered to be, to have the hijacked episode, uh, the, the episode hijacked away a few weeks ago. And I thought it was really cool to, to listen to the stories. Um, and then we had Maya Benson on, who's a real boss lady, right? She was, I mean, she came in extremely impressive career I'm just so proud of of where we've come. I still think we have a long way to go, um, but I think the advancement of women in in the U.S. is is has been incredible, and I'm I'm really I'm I'm really proud to see the people that have risen up. I'm proud of the people that are coming up in the ranks, uh, and and you know this was not something. I, I don't believe this was because of any any in particular except people had a chance to make it sure. in advance. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see where we've come. And I know we have a long way to go, but, but proud to be where we are in 2023. Appreciate that sentiment. I'll echo that. Yeah. All right. So with that said, we have a very special guest this week, Julia Perez from Owen. How are you? Hey, good to see you. Uh, good, to, good to be here. Doing great. Excited to chat. And sorry, I made you listen to my whole little... Little mon- I don't usually have monologues. Caitlin keeps me in check, but I, I just I, I felt like that was something I had to, you know, get off my chest. And considering she took the episode from me a few weeks ago, and I, I I didn't I didn't get to pontificate for for a while, so it was good. No, Brian, I love it. Um, I, really, really great kind words, and um, excited to chat today about, you know, how I got to where I'm at, and hopefully it can inspire other women out there. I'm a young CMO, and um, I'm I'm excited to share and chat with you today. That's awesome. Can you give us a little bit for the for the audience uh, a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I'm Miami based now, but I'm New York born and spent the first um, eight years of my career in New York. Um, I always knew I wanted to be in marketing. Well, you know, actually, that's not completely true. I was actually in fashion. I came up during like the Hills era. Um, okay. I don't know if you were like into like the Lauren Conrad fashion merchandising, FIT, you know, world. And I thought I wanted to be in fashion. And then I quickly realized that 
you know, what I love about fashion is really marketing. And um, I was, it was during, you know, MySpace, Facebook, and I had a real knack for social media, knew that there were jobs that were going to be popping up and kind of proud of my younger self to kind of have the ability to see that foresight um, into what I was good at and what opportunities might be on the forefront. So was there, Julia, was there an aha moment there? Uh, you know, you're in fashion and all yeah. of a sudden, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was. Um, I was sitting in fashion supply chain management and starting to realize that so much of what I would be doing would be about the supply chain, which exposed a lot of, um, you know, uh, ugly truths in the fast, the fashion world. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really appealing. It kind of made me upset, honestly. And I was thinking about what my job might be if I ended up being like a buyer for a bigger retail chain. And I, I just saw Excel sheets in my head. And that's what I was hearing the more classes that I took. And I knew that's not what I like about fashion. What I like about fashion is the, what's the mind state of, uh, you know, that person getting dressed in the morning, what music are they listening to? What vibe are they trying to achieve for their day? What, what image are they looking to put out forward? And kind of dawned on me, that's not fashion, that's, that's marketing. And fashion will always be a part of, you know, whatever marketing you decide to do. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I realized, you know, I can take this love for fashion somewhere else into marketing. Um, social media was really big at the time. And um, I've always had a natural, like just like a knack in social media and sharing my own life and personal branding, um, you know, compared to the people that compared to the Gen Z and the millennials of today, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quite on that level. But at the time, I was an early adopter in all those social platforms and, and knew that brands were going to start be like looking for these positions. So um, quickly sought out I went to a very small fashion school and it was super competitive and I, I do I tend to do best in those environments um I, I don't know why it just fuels me to, to be better and do more and I saw so many um other inspiring women or young women at the time getting uh internships in New York City and I a light bulb went off like I gotta find a social media internship and yeah that's that's what uh that's what happened next ended up yeah. interning at a social agency that I later then received a job offer for out of college. Nice. I think it's definitely the New Yorker in you that likes the competitive atmosphere. But before yeah. we move into <laughs> your first role within the marketing space, I have a very groundbreaking question that I'm sure everyone is wondering. Team LC or Team Kristen? I mean, let's just clear the air right now. If you were a Hills watcher, what was it, Julia? This could make or break this whole conversation, so choose wisely. Okay. Definitely <laughs> LC. I was okay. a party girl in school and yes. I really, I really loved her, like her drive. And I was just jealous of her internships. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I'll take it. We can continue with the conversation. So on our pre-call, we talked a lot about where you started, um, which was interesting, interestingly enough, um, at Red Bull, being a Red Bull girl in college. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about that and how that really jump-started transitioning from fashion into the marketing space? Yes. Um, I mean, what a great college job. It was truly a dream. <laughs> I remember seeing other people doing it again, back to my competitive nature, just seeing what other cool, like what I thought was cool people, quote unquote. And I saw different promotional models working at like monster or, um, just, you know, different beverage brands. Um, and I learned quickly, I did some research. Okay. They're hired by, uh, promotional companies, but Red Bull girls are hired by Red Bull. So just right. applied on a, applied on a whim because I saw the cars around Philadelphia, which is where I went to school, 
and um, you know, I quickly got called back and had an interview and it was just like a dream job because you're surrounded by, Red Bull's very specific about their hiring process and at the time, I think they've now opened it up to men, but at the time it, you had to be in college and you had to be uh, female and they they looked for um you know women with really driven qualities that were doing interesting things in their respective colleges because remember i went to school in philly so there's there's drexel there's upenn uh temple philadelphia university um westchester there's so many different schools so um right away i think it was the perfect intro into marketing because red bull is one of the best companies um, when it comes to marketing strategy and it's such a large company that they have the resources to really refine their strategy. Um, I think at, I'm at startups now, so it's a little bit different, but just a great place to understand the framework. And we had very specific training on the type of language we can use and how we could present the Red Bull uh, product to different consumers and the way that we would uh, get dressed with our different Red Bull gear. and um, you know, present ourselves because a lot of the times that's the consumer's first um, touch point with the brand, um, especially in college. So yeah, it was a really great place to start um, from a company such, you know, so spectacular as, as Red Bull. And this, and so this predated your, uh, your, your, your foray into fashion. Is that correct? No, this is actually after. So I changed this is my after. Major. Yeah. I changed my major in college once I started taking more courses. I think it was like my second year. I changed okay. my major and I went into Red Bull. And at the time I was interning at, in, in New York City at a few streetwear brands because I, I had the job all through the last two years of school. And then, um, you know, I had the internship. It was a streetwear brand, Swedish streetwear brand called WSC in New York. And it, it was, I would say it's parallel to, to Red Bull in terms of like I was working with, I was interviewing a lot of professional skateboards and snowboard, skateboarders and snowboarders. So it was, it was nice that those worlds were connected because they would kind of benefit each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah. I did some blogging and, and then I went to a digital agency. So right. that was, that's my college, uh, intro. It, it, it's interesting. So like Red Bull is almost like grassroots marketing, right? Di uh, almost right. directly to the consumer. And then you're dealing with on the streetwear side, you know, skateboarders and really early entry into influencers. Absolutely. And I love that you made the uh, connection between skateboarders and influencers, because I think skateboarding is just, it's a phenomenon the way that that sport has done such a, has always been a cultural influencer when it comes to fashion or music. Uh, skateboarding culture really drives so many trends and you might not know it until you're working a little bit closer to it, but I found that really fascinating and, and still do, even if I don't really get to explore that world anymore but yeah it's a great intro to influencers and surely the beginning of what that looked like for brands yeah that community community is something that comes up so often it was such a buzzword last year and i think that world that you're alluding to is just community and then putting that cool factor with what folks in that space really want to see which is marketing right definitely and i think yeah community is such a buzzword today and i believe it's a bit overused because sure when we think about you know I, I feel like we're, we've been going back to our roots in terms of like the way humans connect with brands so what I mean by that is the early 2000s and you know far before that 
um, before the social media was everywhere and it was like an integral part of marketing, we found out about new products and beverages and food brands and all that. We found out through word of mouth and people who were influential and in real life, right? So they were doing something cool. They were in like an insider community. Um, they had some type of charisma that, you know, equals influence. And we, I just feel like we've lost that over the last few years with influencer becoming just a, a way to make money and almost like a career for young people now. And I think it's been, um, you know, it's just gotten saturated. And what I'm seeing now for brands is it's really about, it's not so much about how many followers the influencer has. Of course, it's important when you're going mass, but when we think about community, it's about finding brand evangelists that are going to talk about your brand and spread information about your brand on behalf of the brand. So we're not, you know, we as marketers aren't doing all the heavy lifting. We have a community that knows so much about us and, you know, is so passionate about the brand that they're out there spreading the message. So, you know, so, in a way, getting back to the roots. Yeah. So I have a question about that. So how do you, how do you kind of tap dance around, right? So you want your influencer to be representing the brand, but not necessarily selling the brand, because I think the more overt you are in the sale, the less, the less authentic it, it is. And, and, and so how do you, how do you balance that? Yeah, and Julia, before you jump in, Brian, you read my mind, because as Julia was alluding to that, I thought in my mind, hashtag ad, and the second that I see that right. this person is being paid, I'm like, this isn't community, this is a paycheck. Yes. So Julia, what do you, what's your take on that and the power of a paid ad versus like the micro-influencers that I think you're alluding to? Yeah, I mean, that's so true. And I think that um, as we craft these contracts, we have to be very mindful of that. Um, but really, it's, we want the influencer to share their, their genuine experience with it. And that's really, as, as marketers, we have to empower our community and our creators with the tools to, to tell whatever story they need to tell about the brand. We all experience brands in different ways, right? Another thing here is um, if we, I think as marketers also, we, we underestimate how smart the viewers are. We don't always mm. have to say buy at this exact link or click this, but maybe it's shifting the influencer to explain where the products are on shelf or explain what was their first touch point. You know, I saw one of my friends drinking this and I decided to buy it. Just like really let them take the reins. But even if we're thinking like without the contracts, because again, like a lot of these brand evangelists are not, they're not paid. They're simply going on TikTok explaining that they found a product in a store and broadcasting it because they genuinely want people to know about it. I mean, that also goes down to the type of marketing you use and how you speak to the consumer. Um, like currently I'm the CMO at Owen and we always say that our goal with our communication is to make the consumer feel like the hero. We are a sports nutrition brand or rather yeah. a protein drink uh, brand a nutrition brand. And I think a lot of brands in that category preach onto their consumers. So we're pretty, you know, we're very mindful there to make the, cons let the consumer feel like they are the hero and that they have figured this out. We don't need to talk to them as if they have no idea what a protein drink is. Yeah. And, and Julia, if I can chime in, this is Tanya, the producer. I just wanted producer to Tanya. 
if you could sort of, yeah, if you could sort of elaborate a little more because to what Caitlin and Brian were, was talking about, because um, we can't just dismiss the influencer just because it may be a paid ad. It's really important. Sometimes it's truly organic. If you could speak to that, because usually the influencer, the marketer really taps into um, that, that influencer has been talking about the brand way before they were even paid and that's the beauty of the partnership you know sometimes and so that makes it more authentic and they bring in it's kind of the thing that like really bolsters the community aspect so if you want to speak to that maybe a little bit that hey, would hey, kind of help. hey julia just so you know it's it's like it's like a unicorn when tanya steps out from behind the curtain so you should feel <laughs> you should feel privileged that she actually did that and came up with this question I love that. Yeah, I definitely can speak to can speak to that. And in fact, it's one of it's it's how one of our um, partnerships that we worked on last year with Justin Fields. He's an NFL quarterback. Um, that's how that partnership came to life. Uh, Justin had been a fan of the brand and drinking Owen and got into contact with us. And that further encouraged us as a brand to sign that contract because there's a genuine understanding of the brand and um you know and he's already drinking the product there's a story there and i think consumers yes. can also catch on to that and a lot of the influencers and partners and friends of the brand that we continue that we continue to see product to and this is this isn't just for owen this is for several brands that i've worked on you discover them through you know, through them posting on their own about the brand, they're not getting paid, they're simply sharing with their followers that they love the product. And, you know, I wish yes. I could explain to more influencers um, that sharing products that you're not getting oh. paid for shouldn't be a negative thing. That's why you are an influencer. And the more that you do that, once brands see that you're posting about the brand naturally, it, as marketers, it actually excites us more. Maybe I should explore something larger um, because there's a real story there and the consumers catch on quickly like, oh, I've seen um, this influencer post about the brand five times and now it finally says ad. They're really not going to be upset by that. If anything, they're going to say, I'm glad that the creator that I follow and I'm invested in is now partnering with a brand that he or she loves. And, um, you know, audiences, they're very engaged with their with the influencers that they follow. And I think it's only a positive thing when it can become something larger for the brand and the influencer. Yeah, that's interesting. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever tried these Altoids. They're they're curiously strong peppermint, <laughs> but I cannot get enough of these things. Brian, does that mean you're considering yourself an influencer here? <laughs> I don't, but I'm hoping they listen and send me at least some free Altoids. Maybe they'll sponsor the pod. Oh, see? <laughs> a girl go. can dream. Exactly right. Exactly right. So tell us a little bit. I know, I know you had some strategies coming out post-COVID on how how you were marketing and what was going to differentiate and how brands were going to differentiate themselves. Tell us a little bit about what your strategy, the strategy you adopted coming out of there. Yeah, um, I mean, there's so many different there's so many different strategies that were born in COVID, and then we had to adapt them again. I just feel like the last three years it's been nonstop <laughs> reiterating of what we've done. Um, as marketers, what we can do. Um, I mean, the most important thing, I know we also talked about um, what we can learn from COVID. I think the brands that have done such a good job are the ones that were hopping on um, the different opportunities that were available during COVID and then post COVID. So 
when iOS was, um, before it was, you know, super gated, so many brands throughout COVID were built on, on Meta, on Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram ads. And I just think it goes to show you at Corewater, we used to have a slogan that our CEO, Lance Collins, um, proudly hit, hung behind his desk. It was, it's not the big that eats the small, it's the fast that eats the slow. And that's really stayed with me. So I think the brands that were able to hop on to Meta when it was, you know, giving so much, um, I think that that was, that's obviously a really positive, um, a really positive moment for them. And maybe they've built loyal followings from there. That's where they got their start, their acquisition. Um, TikTok was huge during COVID and it still is huge. I mean, there's so many, you know, conversations that are happening right now about the ban and everyone's asking, I think so many of us are asking one another, are you worried about it? What does this mean for marketing? I mean, for us at Owen and, um, it's not, it's not the be all end all because we have so many other levers that we're pulling, but you know, back to TikTok and, and what it, what it can bring for brands. Like when we talk about influencers and democratizing reach, democratizing influence, um, creating brand evangelists um, and, and turning your consumers into influencers. I mean, TikTok is the number one place for that right now. Um, so that's been big. And then um, a big, another trend that I've been seeing, is, and I don't think it's a trend at all, really, but the idea of transparency. So I work in the fitness, um, sports, nutrition, healthier for you, food and beverage space. And consumers in that category, even the ones that are first dipping their toe in, they really value transparency. And there's been so many tools that have helped um, consumers get closer to the brands. I just mentioned TikTok, democratizing influence. There's this whole trend of de-influencing now on TikTok where influencers are coming on and sharing brands that they quote unquote don't think are worth the money or are overhyped. So again, it's giving voice and, and creating more transparency and really making it so that brands need to be communicating directly with consumers and because any of them can be influencers about their product and about their ingredients so one thing we've adopted is just getting closer to our consumer through that transparency and a vehicle we've been using um, since COVID and continues to grow every single day is our SMS marketing channel and we are one of the few brands I think in our space that are doing like a a two-way SMS strategy So we're inviting consumers to ask us questions. Hey, like, here's, you know, have you seen this latest news in in health? If you have any questions about it, our registered dietitian is here for you to answer, is here here to answer you. Do you have any questions about the products? We're having a sale tomorrow. Let us know. And we've seen the engagement on that channel contributes to customers that have a higher LTV. So I'm really bullish on SMS marketing from a two-way perspective. Yeah, I think that's a great strategy and it just builds a lot of trust and of course puts that personal touch. We talk about it even a lot in our space, just positioning yourself more as a subject matter expert and less of someone who's trying to sell something. And I think that resonates with a lot of with a lot of folks and consumers. Yeah, I think so too. It's just there's so much there's so much noise out there from mm-hmm. email inboxes and now, you know, SMS and um, you definitely have to just let the consumer know you're there if they have questions and if, if they need, if, uh, you know, they need you. But I, again, I think that our customers are smarter than we think, not us at Owen, but I think in general as marketers and just let them come to us with the questions that they have. I, I also think you can learn a ton about your consumers when you do that too. So 
That way, someone yeah, can I, learn. It's the qualitative is is really where the beauty happens for for me. Yeah, it, it's somewhat generational too. I think, to, and, and I'm I'm really putting myself out there. I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older, and so. I get a little bit more annoyed by the SMS and I opt out a lot of times, but then I watch my daughter who's uh, in her early twenties and, and she gets a lot from the brands that she's involved with. And I think she appreciates the updates. Um, yeah. And so is there a strategy by the way, when you start to target specific um, demographics of what works best? Is there, is there a huge swing in strategy or are you finding everything's coming more to center? Yeah, I, I don't think the age, it's interesting what you said about, about the age. Your daughter probably really appreciates that her brands are letting them know, are letting her know, you know, Absolutely. hey, it's, your, 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 your uh, product has been shipped or, you know, it's been dropped off and those shipping updates are one thing. And then just like letting her know about restocks. And I mean, that's, that's probably very exciting to her, but I can understand that, you know, if you're not using your phone as much, maybe it's a generational thing. Um, oh no, he is. He's uh, oh, I'm, 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 so, <laughs> so, so I guess some of it is because uh, I'm getting hit everywhere. I and, and I do appreciate the you know I, I do suffer from Wismo like like most normal people do. Um, so getting the texts and alerts to where to where my packages I like it's the okay. hey this is on sale this is coming up we've got a new releases I I don't need all that because I'm getting pinged everywhere like I feel like between between Slack, Teams, email, uh, texts. Right. It's just, right. It, it's just overkill. Every, so overkill when I'm getting it from brands. Like, tell me where my package is. Don't necessarily have to tell me that there's a, a, a new release of product coming out. So, I, but my daughter loves it. And, so and I think my son does as well. And thank you for sharing that about the type of messages that you prefer. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> Do you ever, can I ask you if you ever make the purchase when you get a sales text because I think it's although we say what consumers report they don't like and do like sometimes their behavior differs from what they say they you know they don't like or don't prefer and sometimes those texts work on the consumers that might not want it so I tend to be weary and like you know slicing and dicing <laughs> the segments so so close because even if it might be a little bit like, all right, this is overkill. Well, yeah. does it work? Do you buy it? Uh, yeah. So Caitlin's pointing to herself because it clearly works on her. I'm such a I sucker. I'm like, oh my God, new drop. You guys know I'm just, just trying to be cool over here. You know, like, all right, you got something new for me. I want to get it first. I want to be the person. Show me what's new for spring. I'm going to buy it. So, yeah. And sometimes it's overkill, but then you're, you're happy to know if there's a promotion going on or, you know, sometimes it's helpful that, oh, I forgot, like, I forgot about that brand. That's a great brand. I should like head to their website soon. But it's, you know, with consumer surveys and um, we have, I mean, of course, if someone responds and says, I don't want to get the sales, I just want the shipping updates quick, easy. And we do get, we do get uh, those responses, but yeah, I always like to ask because uh, I, I would text. Yeah, I would say for, for me, I might be opening 10 to 20% of the texts that come through. And of those, maybe 10% intrigue me enough to click through to the website. It also depends on, you know, what what it is, the, the appearance of the product that's there, and if it's something that's intriguing to me. 
but it's getting me to even open it because I'm like, all right, I, I don't have time for this right now. I, I right. do get that. There's nothing I hate more than, I mean, I don't mind the text messages because I've opted in. It's brands that I love and I'm probably a loyalist for. There's nothing I hate more than an Instagram ad that tells me, hey, look at this product. And I go there and I can't even get that product. You just baited me with a dope product. I love it. And you can't even sell it to me. Like, what is that? Oh, my gosh. It happens way, it happens way right? too much. Yeah. What is that? I, I haven't worked on a brand. Um, I'm trying to think back into, you know, my experience, but since it's in food and beverage, I haven't worked mu much on brands where it's like a retail, like an Urban Outfitters or, you know, uh, where they have so many different products and then sure. you get and the product's not there. So I don't have that problem as much in, um, you know, in my arena, sometimes we're out of stock. I've been out of stock on brands I've worked on, but it's, I feel like it's less likely to happen when it's like, not a fashion or beauty item yeah no. that's fair like cpg and like health health and beauty is a little bit more straightforward yeah apparel yeah. definitely is the bait and switch yeah absolutely exactly and right I have to, and i have to jump in again one more time I'm, I'm like brian a lot but i do get the text messages and sometimes i'm i'm sort of on the sidelines you know not willing to pull the trigger yet and then i get i see a promotion that's it kind of catches my eye it's like a little too good and I just go for it. I pull the trigger at that text where, you know, you get the right promotion at the right time. And isn't that what it's about? It's getting yeah, that promotion right at the right time, you know, and you know, the person based on behaviors, they're interested. So you have an interest, Brian, you do, even though you're, <laughs> you're not, you know, you get a little The marketer tired. and Tanya coming out. So, <laughs> yeah. so this, will, this will sound very funny to Caitlin, but I guess I'm exhibiting self-control. <laughs> said Brian. As we never. know, that's, that's, that's my core strand. <laughs> well, Julia, listen, I, I really have to thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, definitely have learned a lot and appreciate getting the opportunity to learn more about you and having you on. I'm very, very happy to have you on as the, as the, uh, our last guest of our Women's History Month. So really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed speaking with you all today. Excellent. All right, Caitlin, walk us out. Okay. Thank you, Julia. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Check us out every other Friday at sippinandshippin.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.